Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Zach Wallstein. Hello, Zach. What's up? It's been so long since I've seen you. Dane Draper, college student, uh, looking dandy and dapper. Hello. Appreciate it, Brendan. Hello. You're welcome. Christopher, newly uh, newly using beard product consistently now. The same beard product. And it looks great. The, the podcast audience doesn't know that we already talked about this, Chris. Oh, okay, you're yes, not playing. Using beard product. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. No, I didn't realize that. Sorry. My bad. No, that's probably my fault. That's definitely I'm just for the people that are here now. That's all I care about. <laughs> these people. That's yeah, who matters yeah. to me. Okay, so this episode of OTB is going to be transfer portal specific. It'll probably be the last time we talk about the transfer portal for a couple months, uh, bearing any uh, entries or maybe some late additions, but FSU semester is well underway. This is pretty late in the semester to be adding someone. So this seems to be it for FSU right now. The transfer window is closed, closed last Wednesday. Uh, and as it closed, FSU finished with the number two ranked transfer portal class with a Total score of 73.24 points, easy for me to say, behind only LSU at 78.13 points. However, LSU had 11 commits, FSU 9. FSU's average transfer uh, grade uh, per player is 91.4. That's third nationally. Only Georgia and Alabama, good company there, have higher scores, but they took a total of four guys. So the combination of uh, quantity and quality, really good for FSU. So what we're going to do here as a collective foursome, a quartet here, uh, kids show, will be a ranking of the transfer players that we think will be the most impactful to FSU's 2023 campaign. Impactful, I don't know, guys, could be defined as a magnitude of ways, right? Uh, but we're going to rank it from nine to number one. And uh, we did this last year, the spring eval uh, Dude, for us. What? Am I talking too Chris much? Chris is like showing that, his that's, list. That's oh, my that's list fine. from last year. Oh, from last year. Who I'll go over it real quick. Go over it. You want to know what's funny is, and I I switched it up a little bit in show, but uh, second to last for me, I think he actually ended up being third to last for me was Greedy Vance, who ended up obviously playing a lot. Bless Harris was down the list. Trey Benson, because at that point was uncertainty, was seventh. Um, You know, Verse was one. Caden Lyles because of the need for push at safety to hope for him being the starting safety before Maurice took a jump was way up on my list. Yeah, so it's funny. Like, there's a few that I feel like I hit on, like Deuce Span being last is pretty fair because he's a developmental type. But then there's others, you know, I hit on verse being one. He was obviously really good. But like Benson at seven, his value is so much greater than that. This is interesting. We should go back. We had to find the podcast from last year because I'm sure there were some dandies all across the board that we uh, wish we could have some, some mulligans on. Uh, I ended up putting together a list at the start of, or at the, I guess the, before the season started, the end of camp, basically. And I think Benson, Zach, you looked at it earlier today. Was Benson like, was he first or he was in the top two? He was three? number one. He was yeah, number yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, so we will learn a lot in the spring is what I'm trying to say. And, and, and then through camp, camp yeah. as well. Um, and, and all these new transfer additions are going to make for a very fun spring. Uh, before we get into the ranking aspect of this, and uh, please feel free to play along at home as we, we go into the, the order here. When we get to nine, feel free to put uh, who your ninth most impactful transfer is. Um, and we'll, we'll keep scoring tally here for ours uh, at home. Uh, but anyways, uh, guys, the, the use of the transfer portal is something that Mike Norvell has leaned on pretty heavily. Chris, I'll, I'll start with you. I know this wasn't something that he initially wanted to lean on heavily year in, year out. But it seemed like that strategy has changed a little bit. Uh, any theories as to why? Because they're really good at it. I mean, that, that's the honest truth. There's a few reasons, though. Guys who transfer are fully invested because unless you're a grad transfer, you can't transfer again. There's also a matter of usually you're transferring for a business decision. There's a little bit more maturity to it. You've been developed in a college program. You have that strength and conditioning and nutrition. You also just know how it is at that next level. When you're recruited out of high school, it's kind of, you know, it's bells and whistles and everything that makes you smile. When you're doing a transfer process, it's much more about where am I going to go to be developed, to become a better player, to do what I want to do, to advance the next level. So that's sort of what's important. But FSU's unlocked the the key to this all. They've just been extremely good. This go-round, I think the most impressive thing is that they sort of had needs. They knew who they wanted. They expected certain people to go in. When they did, they struck, and they very rarely struck out. So uh, very good job by Mike Norvell, the entire staff at FSU, and you know we're going to 
dive into that a bit more here. But I think at the end of the day, the reason why they do it is because well, those guys can help you out of the gate. You know, if, for example, we'll talk Gilbert Ed- Edmond. Gilbert Edmond can help FSU this year. I don't know if he's a starter quality guy this year, but he's definitely a too deep type of quality guy who you're going to get multiple years out of. If FSU had gotten Keldrick Falk, do they take Gilbert Edmond? I don't know because I don't know if that need exists. But Keldrick Falk probably isn't helping FSU in 2023. So it's kind of the, the balancing act of the guy who can immediately help you out of the gate when they step on campus first, the guy you have to develop who it may take a couple of years. Pat Payton's an ex- excellent player for FSU. It took him two years to really make the impact he's making. That's just a natural process of things. With transfers, it's kind of ready-made, let set, go. Uh, before I had, I want to go to you, Zach, with a question on it real quick, but, uh, Ryan in the chat asks, it's an important question. Are we including the kicker in your nine? He's not on scholarship. The ETS, you kid, I'm blanking on the name right now. And I Tyler do Kelder. Tyler Kelder. Dane's boy from, from all the way. Giles. Back. Yeah. yeah. Giles boys. Um, do we count him? Do we expand it to 10 and throw a little wrench in this? I totally did not think of him. You mean expand it to nine? No, he's, we're at nine. There's Spanish nine transfers. Expanded to ten. Oh, okay. No, oh, you're right. There is not. I'm sorry. There is none. You're right. Whoa. <laughs> do we want to um, make? Do we want to add it to ten? I, I mean, I, he would I just be ten for go. us, right? I mean, he might be. Yeah. Uh, I think it should be. But I think it should be scholarship guys only. But I mean, he could have a huge impact. So well, let's just say scholarship guys only, because people are going to start yeah. wanting uh, Kaziah Holmes and stuff. Scholarship players only for now is how yeah. we will include it. Okay. All right, uh, Zach. The Chris mentioned that FSU didn't really like waste a lot of time on these guys. Uh, even just like the, were there any, were there any transfers who official visited that they did not get? There's only one, right? Devonte Brown, Brown I believe. It. Yeah. Um, I think we don't. There's no like tracking of official visits for some reason on the actual like official visit panel. Even if you add it on their profile for two four seven, so it's hard to track like in that sense. Um, but. Yeah, I think Devontae Brown's the only guy that I can recall that visited and then did not come to Florida State. That was a transfer. What stands out? John Campbell. Out? Oh, okay. John Campbell. Kind of yeah. Oh, true. But that was yes, that wasn't one that they were like pushing at the end. You they know were I mean? they were right. okay. That's a little bit different of a situation. But yeah, you're right. But but that's that's fine to say it's not a hundred percent hit rate, but it was remarkably high. Uh, yeah. And and when we've talked to players uh, the last week and a half or so, the newcomers. Uh, the transfers specifically, almost all of them to a T-Zach have said FSU was on them almost immediately when they entered the portal. Uh, for some guys, the first school, um, I think there's something significant to that, right? Like there, there's an organization and an approach to this that stands out. Yeah, and this isn't new, right? This is the same message we heard last cycle with all the guys they brought in. That was, you know, obviously a bigger class than than the, the class they brought in in 2022 so, or 2023 so far. Um and a lot of those guys said the exact same thing. Mike Norvell was the first head coach to reach out. Um, you know, all of FSU assistants were, were quick to, to to initiate contact. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely um, they definitely have a, a rhyme and a reason to what they're doing in the portal. Um, and I think they're probably the best team, uh, you know, overall collectively throughout the portal's existence of both recruiting it and also hitting on a lot of those those guys they take out of the portal. Dane, you're shaking your head, nodding your head adamantly. You're in full agreement of what Zach's saying. Was that a preach, basically? <laughs> it was, yeah. What stands out to you? What What have you liked or what have you enjoyed watching? I mean, we all, you, Zach, and I, and Chris joined us later. We all huddled together for the first day the portal opened. It was like a mini, like, draft party. We were really into it. So what stood out to you about FSU, now that dust has settled, the way they've they utilized the portal this cycle? Yeah, I mean, there's. It seems like, like Zach's saying, they're probably the best team in the country at navigating it, and I think that's true. It just seems like they have a like a focus on it that most teams don't have. Like even when these other teams have needs and are looking around the portal for guys, FSU is just first to the punch. Whether it's an official visit or whether it's you know communication, like Zach's saying, how guys just consistently say that FSU is like the first team to hit him up or one of the first teams or Mike Norvell himself is like, there's just a, there's a really apparent focus that FSU has on it. And I mean, Chris was saying it earlier, but they're just really good at this whole portal thing. Like they realize the importance of it. And Mike Norvell has sort of innovated in a way college football um, and, and realizing its importance and they've, they've taken it over. I think saying innovated is a really good, word a good descriptor there because there's been a very forward thinking 
approach that Mike Morvell has taken. You mentioned at the top of this, like this wasn't the plan initially. To Chris's point, they are really good at it. What I think stands out to me is you mentioned the multiple year guys. I think seven out of eight players that were all on, on all ACC teams this past season were multi-year players or will be multi-year players. Like that's a huge, huge factor because most high school prep prospects you get aren't going to be more than two-year starters on average. And that's if you hit on them. Uh, yeah. So you're getting a safer caliber of prospect, right, Zach? Um, yeah. to, that's one of the factors. you want to weigh in on that? Or you just no, I was going to say, yeah, that's a really great point, right? Like even if you're hitting on a, a guy that, you know, down the line that you develop the first two years of his career, you, you don't usually want to play a true freshman. That's usually not a great sign of, you know, the, the state of your current roster. Um, so if you're developing the guy correctly, they're going to start making start making an impact once they're you know, done being an underclassman. They're moving kind of towards being a veteran on your roster. And then, you know, you get them for a few years. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, the development, it's, if the high school development doesn't work out, what do they do? They transfer. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with, with your point. And just that, you know, th- there's there's a lot of variety between, you know, high school and, and portal recruiting. But, you know, I think that's an important point to make in that, you know, some people will argue, oh, you, 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 there's no, you know, sustainability with with just portal recruiting. Well, you know, I, I would argue that there's a lot of risk when you take high school prospects. Right. And, and I think that's one of the biggest risks you take um, is that you're banking on your ability to develop the kid that you're, you're bringing in um, as a 17 or 18 year old kid. Whereas in the portal, um, they're 20, 21, 22 years old, and you pretty much already know what they're going to be like at the college level, which is just such an important scouting tool. Or or even when you don't, FSU has proven to be a really good team in evaluating the guys in the portal. Yeah, Yeah, like a Trey Benson or or even like a Greedy Vance, who we undervalued last cycle, like Chris was saying. All these guys that, like, it was a couple years ago, I remember – I mean, I'm just like a listener to what y'all are saying on this podcast and stuff. But the idea was that generally it was like a 50% hit rate on guys taken out of the portal. And I don't even know what it would be taking guys out of high school. There's so much variable there because with all the different ratings and whatnot and how easy it is to get certain guys. But it's with FSU that that hit rate has so far exceeded 50%. And it seems like now that they've proven themselves as – I mean, now they're performing better on the field and they can, it's easier for them to get a, a higher floor of prospect. But even if they hadn't, or even if they weren't able to get all these high level transfers, you can almost trust that they, that only them kind of would be, would be getting these guys that will eventually hit. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but it, it's interesting to me that when the portal stuff started, it was a necessity for FSU. So I think they had an ability to learn it ahead of the curve compared to most because they had to. They basically had to fill a roster at 85 and be capable of fielding a team a couple years ago. So that allowed them kind of dive into it. But I think along the way, they kind of learned how to do it. The other thing is, I remember when it first started, I'm like, they're all going to be mercenaries. I'm not sure it's really good for culture. It's been really weird here. Some of the guys have come in have been key pieces to why the culture has developed so well. Here. Dylan I mean, Gibbons. Yes. Jermaine, yeah. Jermaine Johnson. J- Jordan Travis is a transfer, but I'm not going to include that in that because he grew up a Seminole and all the ties to and all that. But Dylan Gibbons, yes. Jared Birch, Jermaine Johnson, Kier Thomas, all crucial pieces along the way. Trey Benson's another current one. Fabian so Very few guys that have come in that haven't been good at the culture or bought, buying in or being a part of it. And it, it's weird because you just don't expect that. There's something about high school recruiting where a lot of it's done over months, if not years, where there's sort of a built-up relationship that you expect there to be a buy into the program. Portal recruiting, for the most part, is done over days and sometimes only a few weeks and very rarely more than a month. So you don't expect to be as much investment, but for whatever reason, that has worked here. And they've done an excellent job when they get the guys through the door officially on campus of allowing them to feel like they are part of the team of it's It's not your mentor or you're just joining it because we have to have you. They don't treat them like mercenaries. And I think that's why they are so bought into what the team is and everything that's going on. And there's already guys in this group that we're going to talk about today where you can see that from them. I, I think, I think Casey Roddick's a guy who is extremely impressive. And I, I have a feeling that he's going to kind of carry that torch in the line room of being a veteran, a guy who uh, has seen a lot, done a lot and can help some of those young guys along the way. You know, I, I think Jaheim Bell is a guy who's invested in being here because he wanted to be here the first time. It just didn't work out. So I think that's something that you can look at. But, you know, it's an impressive thing where 
if we take what we thought when this all really got going two, three years ago versus what we now know because we've experienced it and lived it, it's pretty impressive how much it's worked for FSU. It hasn't worked for everybody. There's programs where the locker rooms aren't great because, well, it's just a segmented team. That doesn't exist at FSU, and that's pretty impressive. And that's a credit to both the guys they're taking and the people running the program and the guys that are already in the program anyways because they're all working together, and they view it as one. They do view it as a family, and for whatever reason, it has worked very well here. There's obviously some downfalls with the portal. Um, they were talking about how, how great it's been for FSU. Like Just generally, there, there are. And chemistry is one of the, the downfall, the mercenary uh, aspect, but FSU seemed to curb that and, and kind of found the, the secret sauce there. So that's one of them, too, is you don't have them as long a period of time. But again, when you're able to get guys for multiple years, again, that, that curves out a little bit. Uh, Less upside, I guess you could say. You're you're missing out a chance to get a – there's not going to be a whole lot of, like, first-round draft picks at defensive end or quarterback or cornerback, uh, premium positions, left tackle that enter the portal. But, you know, FSU got one of them. They might end up having gotten two of them. So uh, – but but there is a smaller talent pool to pick from. Uh, but, but yeah, other than that, there's not a whole lot of, like, downfalls. You're able to, to again, curve, like, two out of those three. And that's – you're doing things right there. And, and you're not spending a whole lot of time – recruiting these guys too you can recruit an offensive guard out of high school spend three years doing that he's a total projection he gets to campus uh, realize it he he might be a better as a g5 player an fcs player you missed on it well he spent three years plus another year or two of development so it's like a five-year process to realize this guy's not going to help you can spend three weeks recruiting dylan gibbons and get him for two years as a starter you can spend three weeks on a casey roddick and he will probably help to some extent or another we don't know yet uh, it just it it makes a lot of sense the way the rules are currently comprised. Tim in the chat asked, "Do you think because of the transfer success has FSU become a destination for transfers?" Absolutely, yes. 100%. All all around the table, right? Yeah, that's yeah, a huge. Guys have said proven. That. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry <laughs> no, that, that was bad on my part. Uh, Zach, go ahead. I was just saying that's a huge that's a huge talking point when we talk to all these newcomers, especially the transfers. Obviously, um, is that. A lot of them are like, yeah, I looked at what FSU has done, Gilbert Edmond, for instance, at recruiting transfer defensive ends and then turning them into pro prospects, right? Jermaine Johnson won the first round. Jared, Jared Verse could have left this year and, and been a top three round guy um, and you know is coming back, obviously, to try and improve that stock even more. He had nine sacks this past season, right? Like they, they, they have the formula um, and they have the proof in the pudding that, that they can go and do that. And they can they can show that to transfers and in that that creates Florida State as this destination spot for, for transfer portal prospects, especially at positions where they can show that they've done it before. Anything to add to that, Chris? No, nah, I think that's well said. Um, Chris, do you have the the transfers in front of you? I don't. I mean, okay. I have the names, but I don't have the info on them. That's right. I got I got them here. So I'm going to go down the list. This is, I think, in order of when they... You just want me to list the names? I can do the, that. The I names, didn't know if you want rankings and such. The names, yeah, I, I'll get that. The names, where they came from, and the grades. I got it pulled up. I just want to give myself okay. a second to... <clears throat> I, I was told I was being a chatty Kathy by someone just now, so I'm trying to move things along here. All right, so the nine guys that we're going to rank right now, sorry, I know kickers are people too, but not in this exact exercise. Next time. Sorry, Bob, if you're listening. Uh, first off, South Carolina defensive end, Gilbert Edmond ranked at 92. Uh, everything that's 90 or above is four-star for us. Auburn offensive lineman Keandre Jones ranked 87. He's a multi-year starter for Auburn, uh, but last year was not a great year for him. Ranked 95 overall, making him fourth, I believe, overall in the transfer portal right now. Ventral Deuce Cypress from Virginia, ranked 93 overall, one of my favorite prospects in the portal uh, this entire uh, cycle. Defensive tackle Braden Fisk, Western Michigan, Another guy who I'm really high on from this this cycle, uh, Jeremiah Byers, UTEP offensive lineman, guard tackle, 92 overall. Interior offensive lineman from Colorado, Casey Roddick, 89 overall. Tight end from Shorter University, Division II, way up in North Georgia. Tight end Kyle Morlock, 91 overall. Mentioned earlier, Jaheim Bell, 94 overall. Tight end from South Carolina, FSU's uh, farm system. And then finally, Daryl Jackson from Miami, 90 overall defensive tackle. So that's that's who we're ranking. That's who we're working with here. Let's get into the rankings, fellas. Starting off at number nine, Chris, I will go to you. Who is your least impactful transfer? I went with Keandre Jones. And truthfully, when I sat down and did this, it's kind of amazing. The rankings 
like they're all good. They're all my kids. I like them all. I don't have a favorite kid. But uh, Keandre is a guy who needs a bounce back, and that's why I went with him at nine. And I also think Casey Roddick and Jeremiah Byers are a little more set on what they're going to be for FSU, how they're going to fit in. So he's the third of those three linemen, so that's why I put him down there. Uh, Zachary, I will go to you next. I have Gilbert Edmund. Um, I think the most likely scenario is he becomes a, a rotational piece for Florida State. I still think he gets you know close to, to the amount of snaps as a starter would get in FSU's you know defensive line room, um, just because that's kind of how they work their defensive line. They don't want to you know just load one guy with with a ton of uh, a ton of snaps. Um, so yeah, um, that's that's where I have uh, that's who I have for number nine. Uh, Dane, you go ahead. Take a little bit of time, please, because I can't find my list. I can't find <laughs> my documents. This is not good. Um, yeah, I'll talk really slowly. Um, no, but I have Gilbert Edmond too at nine. Um, I think he. I think. I mean, Chris is talking about it too, but it's really hard to rank all these guys because it's such a quality class. Like Gilbert Edmond is a 92 graded defensive end, and I have him as the last of nine players as far as impact in at least 2023 and um and that's probably why he's last is because like chris was saying again gil brandman is probably more of a guy who's going to impact next season he's gonna you know get closer to what his ceiling is which seems to be pretty high but he's a bit raw um yeah oh i found it just now dane thank you oh i was i was doing my blackout thing where I forget what's going on but um yeah so I think he go Redmond probably I mean he raises the floor for sure like he's definitely an impactful guy he's a, he's a good take for sure um he raises the floor as someone who can be in that rotation uh in your defensive end room and keep from playing guys who are more unproven even like a Byron Turner who we're we are high on but he's had a pretty poor injury history at this point and he's also quite young um, but it, I think it also elevates the ceiling in your room because he can be a, a good player, who knows, but um, a really good player, who knows. But he also can be on the field while a guy like Jared Burge is on the sideline getting a little bit of rest so he can be more impactful on the most important downs, I guess. Bug Zapper asked, what are these rankings based on? It's it's important, which is nebulous. Uh, it's how we think they're going to impact the game regularly, how they're going to impact the program, how they're going to impact other people around them. Uh, so it's impactful. Damn, that's a lot. I was thinking like 2023 season. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, the program, but I mean, it's I not the worst in that you're thinking that way, Dan, because like, and we'll, I'll get to Gilbert where he is for me, but like I have him higher because long term, I think his impact can be pretty great. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that when Jared moves on after this coming season, yeah, has a real chance. You're only going to get Jared Verse back for 2024? Not feeling optimistic. Get to work over there at Battle's right. End. Right. Oh, yeah. You yeah, guys keep, keep going. Uh, so before I, I say who my number nine was, I have to say, like, this list, to me, feels so much more complete than last year going into the spring. Obviously, it's on paper. We have to see what happens. But, like, last year, there were guys who I didn't think were going to make a big impact. And almost all of them out overperformed what we thought they would do. Uh, but this just feels like such an elevated level based on the caliber of recruit you're getting size speed wise, uh, rankings wise. Right. And, and then even just like the teams you were beating out for these guys, almost all of them you're beating out uh, either high tier SEC teams, Ohio states of the world. Uh, so my number nine is someone that you, you'd have to beat out a couple of SEC schools for and that's Kyle Morlock, the tight end from division two. I think there's just going to be a little bit of a learning curve, even a, like a physical uh, adjustment to make it at the power five level, a bit of, bit of a jump for him. Got a lot of tools. I like him a lot. He's a two-year player. I think he'll contribute this season uh, just between adding Jaheim Bell, who, spoiler alert, will be pretty high on my list. Uh, I think he's your number two, maybe your number three tight end entering the season. Um, so, yeah, I had a hard time putting him a whole lot higher, but I think that upside is a potential NFL draft pick. So he's my number nine there. All right, let's go uh, ladder, I guess. I'll go up to number eight. For me, it's going to be Gilbert Edmond. Uh, Dane, I thought, talked about him really well. I'm not sure if he's going to start for you. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the day, like if he does take some starting reps this season uh, at, at defensive end and maybe beats out Derek McClendon by the, as the year goes on. Remember, Gilbert's kind of still a developmental prospect. Uh, he's a third-year player, but 
came to college very undersized. So uh, at the very least, I think he helps out the rotation, like Dane said. Uh, Dane, who is your number eight? Uh, I have Keandre Jones at number eight. And All right. that's largely because you took two other guys that I think are that are higher on the list for me. Um, and, you know, you need to order these guys somehow. But I think Keandre Jones can definitely be a guy. I mean, it wouldn't be – I don't think it would surprise any of us if he was a starting guard this season for Florida State. But he's probably the least likely offensive line transfer to do so as well. I mean, we know he has a pretty high ceiling. He, he played well at Auburn uh, at an SEC program. Um, but he also has shown a pretty low floor. So I think he's, I think there's a bit of uncertainty there, even though we've, uh, even though he's been around college for a while. All right, Zach swinging to you, who is your number eight. I'm starting to get scared that Dane and I have the same list. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Andre Jones for me as well. (laughs) Um, You know, for a lot of the reasons that Dane said, you're right. Like, I think he's probably, you know, if we look at the three O-line transfers they brought in, the um, least likely to make it on the field in 2023. But, you know, I'm kind of, you know, sneaky high on him a little bit um, just going into the season. I think he, I feel like he's coming in with the right mindset. I watched a podcast he did today. Uh, I think it was like earlier this week and he was kind of just talking about his transfer decision. He's a really mature kid. Um, I think we get to talk with him maybe tomorrow. um, All the the Joneses tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. Three Joneses tomorrow. So that'd be fun. But yeah, Keandre, uh, Keandre's a, a well-spoken dude and a guy that clearly has uh, his priorities right heading into this, you know, into the transfer portal and then over to Florida State from Auburn. Um, so, you know, I'm sneaking high on him. And, and, you know, like we've been saying, this, you know, putting him at eight is not like, you know, how we were ranking guys last, uh, uh, the last time uh, this we, we ranked guys for 2022, right? Like all these guys are really quality and guys we think are probably going to, contribute on Florida State's too deep in 2023. Um, but it just, you know, he, he's probably the least likely of the other guy, the, the offensive linemen they brought in, um, Jeremiah Byers and Casey Roddick. I, I want us to – oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to share one last thought on Jones is that I think they brought him in to have a large human who can push straight ahead, yeah. something they desperately needed in short yardage last year. So and if somebody some, compared him yeah. to Turnitin, I don't think he's got the tackle swing ability. He's more truly just an interior guy. But I think there's a purpose for why they got him, and it's to get a very large dude who can run directly behind. And the good version of him, which he has displayed a couple of years ago at Auburn, has a great deal of value. Yeah, he uh, he kind of said that or on the podcast. I forget the name of it. I wish I could shout it out, but he he was good on there and kind of explaining that he's you know he was brought in for that reason, right, Chris? He and he chose Florida State for that reason is because Mike Norvell's offense has a need for that need need for guys like him and, and the way his body's built and the way his game is played. Um, he said he wouldn't have gone to a, a school like Mississippi State that throws the ball, he said, 70 times a game um, because that's just, you know, he wouldn't be needed there. Um, so I think that's an important thing um, as far as his fit at FSU. It's pretty amazing how far they've come uh, just as a developmental, uh, with the developmental aspect of the program and then just what they've done in the transfer portal. Keandre Jones is ninth or eighth for you guys. And he's a two and a half year starter in the SEC with some really good moments too. Uh, last year, documented was not his, not a good year for him. That's probably why you're able to uh, attain him. But I think Auburn would have been fine keeping him too. Like I don't think he was pushed out. He, he very well could have been a three and a half year starter in the SEC. So like that might be your backup guard. <laughs> like it, it, things are changing and they're changing quickly at Florida State. Uh, no further delay. My number right. My no, it's Chris's. I'm sorry. My bad, buddy. Go ahead. So before Brandon cuts me completely out of this show, I'm going to do eight and seven. So eight for me was Kyle Morlock. Much of the same reason Brandon had him at nine. I think there will be a bit of a transition for him. Not anything drastic. I think he's made for it. I definitely think he's a kid that can step up. I remember watching that film today, FSU offered and being like, yeah, that dude should have never been at shorter. Um, But it's a list of very talented players. I think he's second to the guy at his position, Jaheim Bell. He is a bit more of a traditional tight end, and I think that will be used. I just have him eight for that reason. Seven for me is Gilbert Edmond. I have him the highest of the four of us, but obviously we all have him in that lower third, and it's for the same reasons. The necessity of him this year is not as great as some of the other guys on this list, but long-term, I think Gilbert holds a great deal of value. 
I, I truthfully considered having him as high as five when I was doing the list for that. Wow. I think he's a guy that long term can give them a great deal. And I think his ceiling is insanely high. He's a very large, very athletic dude who wants to be better. And when there's a desire to improve and he's expressed that time and time again, uh, you kind of can bet on that. It's just how long will it take for that switch to flip and for those things to happen. Yeah. Can you do me a favor uh, on the spreadsheet? Can you move just for my brain, please move Chris over to the first spot, move everyone basically over to the left one and put me behind Dane Kitcho. I don't know. <laughs> Why do I, I have do to do that? I can do it because my brain. Okay. Watch how easy it is. Oh, so difficult. All right. Going back. No, the names are messed up. They don't fit in the boxes. You ruined it all. Good what? job. Just, just who's your number seven? I can fix it. Oh, no, wait, I can't. Okay. Good job. All right. My number seven is Mr. Kyle Morlock. I'm really high on him. I actually think he, you know, I put him up here because I think he's going to be a guy that um, can contribute and will contribute for FSU in 2023. You know, getting a look at him in person again uh, yesterday, I think it was right when we interviewed him. He looks pretty well well put together. I don't think he's six foot seven, but he's probably like six six. Um, I think that's what they listed him at on on his official on the official FSU site um, upon his arrival. And I think that's probably right. Um, and, that, and and that's super impressive, obviously, for for a guy that you're going to use to you know create some mismatches uh, within Mike Norvell's offense. Um, but yeah, I'm really high on Kyle. And you know, I think if Jaheim Bell's a one and done for FSU, Kyle Morlock, you know, kind of becomes a, a star um, in, in FSU's offense next, or not this coming season, but the year after. Um, but I still think that he's probably FSU's second best tight end in 2023 when it's all said and done. Muted. Good job, Brendan. <laughs> I, I, I said you're not muted. You said I, I said you're not muted. Oh, I'm muted. Go yeah, ahead, Dane. I could just read your lips. It was funny. Um, at seven, I have Daryl Jackson. Ooh, okay. Um, and that was difficult to do. I think I like I could argue with myself up to putting Daryl Jackson at like you know you like to do that at like at like three or four. Like I think he is really important and can be super impactful on the season. Absolutely. I think he will be super impactful on the season. I think he is, he could be your best, your best bet as like a, a pure one tech guy on the roster, a guy with a high ceiling at just being the one tech. And he also allows Fabian Lovett to, to be a three tech, which might allow him to be more impactful on, I guess, standard downs. Um, which is a really big deal. Like it wouldn't shock me if Fabian Lovett was at the start of the year, you know, starting depth chart. If Daryl Jackson was starting and Fabian Lovett was the other guy ahead of a guy like Braden Fisk, because the staff might just prefer Fabian Lovett at three. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just, I, he's he's at seven for me. Um, yeah. I think with a guy like Braden Fisk, I kind of, somewhat mitigates the value of Daryl Jackson, but I, I want to know why Zach went grandma on us, the old Larry Johnson. You're probably not old enough to know what I'm talking about, Zach, but he, he threw up the grandma just, finger wag. Yeah. We're not keeping Braden Fist off the field. What are we doing here? Oh my that, that has been a come a talking point that has been interesting is I mean Braden Fisk is really good. Um and I think ultimately like this year with FSU your your depth might be enough to where starter doesn't really matter a ton at yeah, some positions. I, think that's yeah, the I agree with that. Uh, so I mean if you're getting 25 to 30 reps for those guys a game and then you're able to to get even 3 deep, uh that would that would be really good. Um yeah, like what I'm saying Daryl Jackson could start. I'm not implying that Fisk is getting like 250 snaps in the season. In yeah, Daryl Jackson could. It just depends on maybe what you want to do. Like if you want to beefier front for a certain opponent, uh, Fabian Love is your three tech, and Daryl Jackson is your one, or even flip him. Whatever you want to do, and uh, Daryl Jackson's huge. Like he is what six six three fifteen listed at by right. FSU, and it Correct. looks like like it's good weight too. Um, the frame yeah. to keep adding also. Uh, but if you want to go thinner, or you want to go against a speedier team or something like that, you can go uh, Fabo at the one and Fisk at the three. You can you can play around. You can move Fisk across the line. You can have all those guys can play multiple spots, and that's really important. Um, yeah. 
All right, I got a quick buyer's known for you guys, sponsored by the Turner, Turner Group. The Turner Group. Uh, so, buyer's known. If Daryl Jackson stayed with Miami, he would have been part of their transfer ranking class. That's a good question. I was to know that. I think. I think. If someone, I don't think that's how it works. Uh, I, I think it wait, should. known would it have been a statement? Oh boy, I'm not supposed to talk about statements in Miami. Uh, for my for, for Miami, you know what? That actually would have been a statement for them if they were able to get a kid to decommit after he'd already gone to campus. Uh, but uh-huh. it was really a statement that they beat Miami out for the kid like twice. I didn't realize you were such a crystal ball fan. I don't get it. All right, back on track. <laughs> Thank you, adult in the room. Uh, my number seven is Keandre Jones. And my and, and to me, really, that was the first tier. Uh, that was like those three guys I thought were all kind of in the, their own grouping. Uh, now I have a grouping of three others that I think are somewhat interchangeable. And my number six is Daryl Jackson. <laughs> Lar- largely for the same reasons Dade had him, but, but I do uh, think Daryl Jackson has starting potential there and, and maybe has a higher chance of starting this season than the other guys. Uh, Dane, who's your number six? Oh, hold on, I gotta check, Brendan. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hey, hey, hot take here. This is the first one. I got Jaheim Bell at six. What? what? Dude. Dane, explain yourself. Dane, we might we have to kick you out. Him. We may. Have. No, no, no. I like this. He's mixing it up. He's. We needed hey. a new. We needed a new bird for this episode. He's pulling. It. <laughs> I, I yeah, I hyped up Jaheim Bell an insane amount when we did the office preview. So I said he was like could look like AJ Brown on certain quarterbacks in the ACC. So, um, but yeah, I think in terms of <laughs> like, <laughs> I think when comparing them to the rest of the, these guys on the list, he is the least important um, for, for your success in the season. I think he is, I want to say he's the most replaceable, which is hard to say because he's a guy who, who's a caliber of athlete that you're just not really going to find anywhere else. So it's hard to say he's replaceable. And he's also so versatile in what he can do. But in each place you could picture him playing, um, I feel like it'd be okay if he wasn't there as much as the guys ahead of him. I think the reasons you're explaining for him be less Wait. valuable are the reasons why he is valuable. So you're, you're <laughs> saying you'd rather – so, so you, if he played traditional tight end, you'd rather have Marcus and Douglas ahead of him? No, I'd rather have Kyle Morlock. Interesting. Okay. Uh, There's so, an argument for that. The head coach is creative. Jaheim Bell is the perfect player for a creative head coach. Agreed. Uh, I I do think so. I am trying to rationalize some of what Dade's saying, and I think I've followed along. The one thing is like it, he's a tight end, and inherently, like a tight end isn't going to touch the ball as much as or impact the play to play basis as, as much as some of these other positions. Um, but he's such a unique like Wait, dynamic potential. Like, I just realized Dane hasn't listed Kyle Morlock yet. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that makes it even more crazy. Dane, right, right. I was proud of this. I don't who know. Who knew I the young guy? 20 minutes who, ago. Who knew the young guy would be the traditionalist of the bunch? I'm Dane just saying. Kind of Dane over here being traditional tight end. Okay. But okay. So wherever Jaheim Bell would line up on the field, um, I think there are guys who are, could be really good, uh, there instead like if he's in the slot i mean if micah Pittman's there it's not a absolutely massive drop off if he's a traditional tight end i would rather have kyle morlock there um (laughs) (laughs) henry maybe maybe uh is an h-back sure he's fantastic i don't know i these guys ahead of him you can make arguments for them being potential i'll I'll make this counterpoint for you dane and then we'll move on i think Mike Norvell was given Johnny Wilson a year ago, and he's like, oh, I got a big receiver. Go vertical. Throw it up. He's going to drop some. But he also opens up, takes off the top, changes the offensive dynamic entirely. When you give him a new toy, he's going to play with it. And Jaheim Bell's a really fun toy. Good show. You got a lot of toys, though, you know? Yeah, but he's pretty unique. He's pretty special. He's a large person, very athletic. He can be used in a lot of different places. You can get creative. You can create mismatches by using them. He can create mismatches individually speaking. I I sneak peek. I have him number two on my list, so I'm going to just wholeheartedly oh, disagree with you. I'm not. I'm he not saying. I'm not disagreeing. I can't with help myself. Go ahead and throw Jaheim in my number two. There you go. But I, <laughs> I 
I think that Jaheim Bell is going to be a crucial piece, the best offensive transfer FSU will have added in this class in the sense of the impact he makes. And I think it's a one-year impact. And I think that'd be really entertaining. I'm just he's just number six on my list. <laughs> I don't I don't doubt it. I'm okay, just saying. Let's, let's move on. Um am I up now? Sure. Screw you, Dane. Oh yeah. Daryl Jackson off. is for me. Um I mean, I think we kind of already went in depth on him. I'm one off from where Dane put him um, in the same spot with Brendan. I think he's a guy that can definitely move into the rotation this year. Love his physical upside. I think he, you know, has NFL upside. If he puts it all together, he's one of Miami's best defenders this past season on a not great defense. Um, so, uh, you know, you take a guy away from your, your in-state rival, um, one of their, one of their better players, you add him to your roster and he looks uh, legit. Um, I mean, he, he's, he looks like an NFL defensive tackle right now, um, so just hopeful that he can put it all together. And um, yeah, that's that's why I put him right, right at number six. <laughs> I didn't do that for the record. Daryl Jackson is my number six because that's the right answer. Dane's the only one that got the answer wrong, so <laughs> we're just gonna go ahead with that. The one thing I'll add is they're gonna use a multitude of defensive tackles. They're gonna throw out different looks. They're gonna keep guys fresh. They're gonna run through that rotation. They want to have depth of six to eight, and they truly do have that this year. I just think, again, it's one of those where they took two guys at similar same position. Fisk is the better of those two, especially in this coming season. You want? We'll stick with you, Chris, for number five. Uh, Casey Roddick, and somewhat interchangeable here, but I, I really feel like the top four for me were their own tier. Uh, Casey's a talented guy, big body guard, good leadership skills, can also play center. I'm interested in the spring where he plays predominantly. Is is he the guy that's going to push Maurice Smith and make them even bigger at center, or are they going to use him at guard and see if he fits in there? And the the wild card with all this is Meech. If if Dimitri Emmanuel ends up back at FSU, I'm interested how that impacts where bodies move because he's obviously kind of locked into one of the guard spots. They may have legitimately 10, not just capable offensive linemen, but like starting caliber offensive linemen on the roster this year. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, Zach, who's your number five? Uh, the same. The right answer, Casey Roddick. Um, I think he's the second out of the three um, offensive line transfers that, that has the, the the ability to make an impact uh, for Florida State. Um, I think he, you know, I mean, Chris explained it perfectly. I don't need to go too, into too much more detail, but um, love the mindset he's coming in with. Reminds me a lot of the same verbiage that that Dylan Gibbons used when he first arrived on FSU's campus. Wants to come in, leave FSU better than the way he found it um, on the way in, and it's in a lot better spot than when Dylan got here. So, um, you know, love the outlook on that. But yeah, uh, well spoken dude, and and loved hearing him in his newcomer interview, and excited for what what he can do this season. Berg, I mean Dane. <laughs> I have Kyle Morlock at five. Oh, he's so sad now. Guys, what do we do to him? No. Okay, so I have Kyle Morlock at five. I think you have had this massive gap at – oh, my God, Brendan. I, you've had this massive gap at a traditional tight end role for, I mean, since the entirety of Norvell's tenure um, at Florida State. And I think Kyle Morlock fills that greater than a guy like Jaheim Bell um, as an every-down traditional tight end. And he is a caliber of athlete at that um, that you don't have outside of him. I mean, Jaheim Bell, exceptionally versatile, um, but that it's more so in the passing game. And in the running game, he could make a big impact too, but that would be more as an in-line, like a slot um, run blocking, or even like, I don't know, he could be a, a good goal linebacker. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's exceptionally versatile. But Kyle Morlock could be super impactful as an every down legit tight end. And I wouldn't be surprised. I take again, I guess if Kyle Morlock had more snaps at the end of the year than Jaheim Bell, if both of them are healthy. Okay. I will go with, uh, we're at number five, correct? Write it down, Chris. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) I will go with the correct answer as well. It's Casey Roddick. Dylan Gibbons 2.0. All right, so we are through five so far. Let us know in the comment section how we're doing, who's leading right now, uh, who's in last place. <laughs> Dang. Uh, and then we can kind of uh, keep moving on, moving on. 
All right, so my number four on the list, uh, this is the last part of the second tier for me. Uh, again, these guys could have been grouped together, four, five, and six to me, could have been kind of kind of interchangeable. But I went with Braden Fisk. I don't think he's a, a ton over Daryl Jackson, but I think there's a more proven commodity here, uh, even though Daryl Jackson has power five experience. I, I just think Braden Fisk with his uh, overall experience as a player – and what he's done when he's played against power five teams is so impressive. His film is really good. His metrics are good. It's just raw stats are good. Everything that you want, his measurables are good. Like he, uh, because still Chris knee is, um, he checks every box and I love the way he approaches the game. He's super blue collar, self-made like two star who is uh, offensive line prospect. who was like six, four, 240 pounds in high school has blossomed to be six foot five, 300 pounds. Uh, there's this versatility that we've alluded to where you can probably play him at three tech, you can play him at a one tech in pass rushing situations. You can move him outside in like a three man front as well. If you want to toy around with that, like uh, there is a ton to like there. The variables are, how's he do jumping up to the group of five on a full-time basis? I think seeing how he did against Michigan state last year, Pittsburgh, two years ago, you feel like he's going to more than hold his own. And then number two, how's the shoulder? How's that injury? Uh, will that kind of per- uh, prohibit him somewhat in the spring, but ultimately like, I, I think there's a lot of uh, value to knowing what you're getting. And I think you have a pretty good idea of what you're getting in Brandon Fist. So he's my number four and I feel really good uh, about him being an impactful player this year. Uh, Dane, who do you have it for? Uh, I have Casey Roddick. All right. All right. So we're Casey Roddick is off the board. Uh, you projecting that he starts then at that point, Dan, I would imagine, right? I do. And I think he is. I, I mean, you said what before, position? But yeah. What position? It, that adds to his his value because it could be at center or it could be a guard. Um, I think he he probably <laughs> he probably starts a guard, I guess, if you want to make a the okay. most likely projection. Um, that's what I would think right now. But I mean, that could look totally unlikely by the end of the spring who knows i'm just really happy for brendan that when we did a draft this year he might be able to draft like five centers and actually <laughs> still field an o-line <laughs> that, that's it could be a talking point chris so much positional versatility um but yeah he's an older guy he is proven as a as a good college football player at this at this level um he was a a good offensive lineman at, at Colorado and a team captain. That is a value that will replace Dylan Gibbons. Um, and Dylan Gibbons was a super impactful guy for Florida State. So, yeah, I think he deserves to be at that four spot. AB in the chat, what's your top uh, legacy nine through four right now? I don't know how to say that order wise, but who do you would you have so far? Uh, AB is waiting and giving us all a hard time. Uh, let's see, Zach, who do you have it for? Braden Fisk. What a copycat. Um, Hey, I've created this list way before you. This is my idea. Um, no, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of outlined it well. Um, he's a guy that just has a ton of versatility along a defensive line. Love just what he did, especially this past season at, at Western Michigan. Um, you know, hoping he can recover quickly from that shoulder injury and then, you know, move into to conditioning, maybe uh, be available for spring ball. I don't know yet, um, but that, that would be awesome as we – you know, hopefully get a look at him, kind of see what, what kind of impact he can make on FSU in 2023. I expect it to be a big impact. Christopher, uh, you want to go to number four and then number three? Four for me is also Fisk. And truthfully, I felt like three, four were completely interchangeable. Three for me was Jeremiah Byers. Um, yeah, he's got the potential to start at tackle. The value of that is immense. And FSU has options there, but throw no one in there. He's also got positional versatility, ability to play guardian tackle, whether he's a starter, your six man up, whatever he is, he's a guy that you can just rely on. You can play. I absolutely love Jeremiah Byers athleticism. He was a very high level player at UTEP. I think that he's going to transition very well and very easily. And yeah, I bet on him. I love tackles. Uh, I think everybody does. There's only so many of them under the sun. Yeah. Byers is a guy that probably could have the most value of anybody for FSU on this entire list, which is nuts to me because the guy who I have at one, which obviously kind of known at this point, um, is extremely important going into the year. But like overall value, what they can be at the end of the day, Byers can be the best of the bunch. And then your number two, uh, documented at this point. Yeah, yeah, we know who number one is too. But yeah. of course, Chris had to jump ahead. Um, Sorry. Number one as well. That's all right. It's all Dane's fault. It's Dane's fault. 
I mean, the Jaheim Bell slander, I just couldn't stand for it. <laughs> you do know he was good in the SEC, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a compliment to the class, Chris. <laughs> All right, next man up. Uh, Zach, your number three, please. Putting him where he deserves to be, Jaheim Bell. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of using Dane's reasoning here, but not, not to put him at number six, to put him at number three. Um, you know, I think, I don't think tight ends like at this massively important position for Florida State for them to have success on offense. Um, right. I think, uh, I think that that's kind of, you know, we saw that this past season, they didn't have a ton of really stud tight ends um, in their room. You know, they, they kind of detracted from their offense at times. And they still found a way to put up tons of points and just absolutely manhandle teams offensively. So um, I, I love the addition. I think I think he he fills a need for Florida State. If you look at one position on the offense, I think tight ends definitely the weakness um, this past season. So I'm I'm excited um, for what he can add, and not just obviously at tight end. He can do a lot of things. Um, and I'm I'm so so excited for what Mike Dorbell has planned for Jaheim Bell in 2023. All right, number three for you, Dane. Do you have the kicker up there? What's going on? I, I have uh, I have Braden Fisk. I like it. He's he's really, really good, and he fills a position of need. You saw what FSU's defense looked like when they didn't have an impactful guy in, in the interior, and, um, and he can definitely be that. He has a lot of pass rushing chops. He moves well in space. He's a big body. He can do a lot of things well, and he's he's a really really good player. I think he deserves to be, he deserves to be at three, All right. well ahead of a guy like Jaheim. I like the uh, the this happens all the time on our message board and podcasts. We get entrenched in the stance, and really, Dane likes Jaheim Bell. And I love Jaheim. <laughs> and we're going to turn it into you not liking him, and I'm here for it. Uh, welcome to the party. Um, Let's go. Yeah, it's like it's like a baptism. Uh, my number three is going to be uh, Dane's least favorite guy, Jaheim Bell. I just, uh, you know, I, I do think there is something to like a oh, jack of all trades, master of none. But I just get this feeling that he could turn into a master of a couple of things with Mike Norvell's creativity, with what they're going to have with uh, Jordan Travis and opening things up on offense. He's going to add this extra level of not just balance to the offense. It's already very balanced, but just explosiveness. It's already really explosive too. He's just going to enhance everything and give you more weapons, more options. Uh, there's no downside to taking him and the upside, the positional versatility, the mismatches you can create. It's just so vast, so uh, enormous. Uh, I'm so excited to see what Mike Norvell does with him this season. Uh, really, truly am. All right, so my number two, uh, this might be the, the first controversial one I'm going to have. I waited to the end. I got Deuce Cypress at number two. And number one and number two to me were in a tier of their own. Cornerback is really valuable. I will save, I guess, to get to number one. When I get to number one, I'll explain that at the end. But I think Deuce Cypress, he's won the highest ranked guy in the class for a reason. He had a fantastic year at Virginia. Uh, he's really really solid at everything he is extremely physical i like that he's gritty and he hustles as well it's a good baseline of athleticism production like everything you want in a cornerback uh, this to me is a testament to what i think of what number one could be on the list but but do cypress changes up your secondary that he's going to allow you to move pieces around in that cornerback probably i don't know if he's going to be a shutdown corner but he will be a true number one for you with the potential to be a shutdown guy at times this season and he's going to allow Adam Fuller to be very creative in how he uses other pieces in the secondary, what he can do in coverage. Uh, he's he's an excellent take for FSU. You beat LSU, you beat Ohio State, uh, some other big-time programs as well, uh, and, and for good reason. You had to beat out a lot of teams. FSU did a great job uh, recruiting him, um, and there's a reason why he's ranked so high. He's extremely good. Uh, oh, Dane's got Tyler Keltner at number one. That makes sense. Uh, Dane, who do you have at number two? Uh, it's not Tyler Keltner, although Tyler Keltner could definitely be very impactful for them this season. He's a very likable guy, too, a good dude. Um, fans should fans should like Tyler Keltner. But uh, I have I have Deuce Cypress as well. Yes, let's go. Um, and I... He's a genius, with, guys. I take back everything after Jaheim Bell Sander. <laughs> I, it was definitely between him and the remaining fella left on the board. Um 
you know, whether he was going to be one or two, I think, like you said, Brennan, I think they're probably in a tier of their own just in terms of importance, like above replacement within the transfer class. Um, like Braden Fisk is immensely important too, but with an addition like Daryl Jackson and already having a Fabian Lovett, um, they're less so important, you know. Uh, but a guy like Fentrell Cypress, he is a cornerback one. He, like Florida State last season, they didn't, outside of Renardo Green, you didn't, love your options at cornerback kind of whether it was in the nickel or, or, you know, the outside corner spot opposite of Renato green. But, um, but a guy like Fentrell Cypress comes in and he locks down one of those spots. You probably see Renato green stick a corner and at uh, the opposite, opposite of Cypress. And that kind of fills out a defense that could be a really, really good defense. Uh, I was going to say in the conference, but even like in all of the country, it could be a seriously good defense. It's just talent across the board. And I think he really completes that. Okay. So based on Chris's reaction, we know who his number one is and he's looking at us skeptically, but let's make sure, let's see where Zach is first uh, before we get into the one versus two debate. Uh, well, this is for Chris one versus three, clearly Zach, who's your number two. What are we doing here? It's Jeremiah Byers. Um, uh, a two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Florida state has a need on the offensive line. For sure, right? They're losing multiple starters, um, but they're bringing back both of the projected starters they had going into the 2022 season in uh, Robert Scott and Bless Harris. That's not, hey, I'm not saying you can't upgrade, but you have those two guys. You have Darius Washington. Who, hey, I saw Dane's little sly look. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't know we were. I thought you were getting mad at me for updating the list. I was. No, yeah. I thought Zachary Darius was Washington. That was, that was good. Darius, Chris is like muted, by the way. I don't think he, I don't know if he realizes it. Um, but, he's been muted for the last yeah. like three minutes. His, eye, his looks been he's still laughing. Darius Washington is a swing tackle for Florida State that had a ton of, um, you know, just usage at that right tackle spot, right? And he was he was extremely helpful. So, um, and he got fresh from like Julian Armella, who, who you know obviously only played in four games and redshirted this past season, and Jalen Early, who we all think has pretty high upside. Um, so that's why, you know, if you're, if I'm arguing between the top two spots, um, that's why I put Jeremiah Byers at, uh, at the second spot, um, because Ventura Cypress is just far more important to Florida State's success in 2020, 2023. Easy for you to say. So Zach is going to have Deuce Cypress at number one, Chris figured out long ago, Ventura Cypress is number one. You seem, I don't want to say perturbed, uh, offended maybe by Dan and me? I not having Deuce at number one. No, I'm cool. With, I'm cool with Byers being one, even though I had him three. And truthfully, I felt like so. Byers, as I said, Byers can be the best of a bunch. So, like, I wholeheartedly get him being one. Like at the end of the day, he's a guy who might be the most impactful long-term player in this group. And I'm talking beyond FSU. But Cyprus was super important. FSU needed to solidify their secondary. They needed to get a number one corner. They needed to get a guy who has played in this league at a high level on a mediocre team that actually had a pretty good defense, but pretty bad team overall. And he went and did it. And I had him all ACC. So, like, I can't say I think he's an all ACC player and not have him one. That would be nuts for me. That would be talking out both sides of my mouth. I'm not going to do that. But I, I think Cyprus solidifies them. It also allows them to have options at safety because – they know what they have as a number one corner. If they keep Bernardo at number two corner, they feel confident in that based on what he did last year. It allows a guy like Jerry and Jones to potentially have positional flexibility. And that's a good thing for FSU, as they do figure out the one piece that they don't quite know quite yet. I, I'm not perturbed by Byers being one. The only thing that perturbed me here was our boy Dane with Jaheim at six. Like That's the only thing that really got me a little hot under the collar. What was, big, what was Florida State's biggest weakness? Regardless of like or, or of the entire roster, right? Um, what 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 position was Florida State the weakest at in twenty twenty two? Tight end, tight end. Yeah. So why why don't you have Jaheim Bell higher then, or Kyle because Morlock? I have Kyle Morlock at five. I have Kyle Morlock at five. You guys. He's a traditionalist. Eight, We've seven, established we have Jaheim Bell, the better nine. player at number three and two. The better, and you're an eleven personnel, Zach. You want Jaheim Bell there instead of Kyle Morlock. I'm saying I would rather have Kyle Morlock. G That's Kyle right. Morlock is coming from a D2 program. Jaheim Bell balled out in the SEC. He it's not a more it's not a receiving. more <laughs> he, he was, he was a running level. back the last half of the year, Zach. I, I, because I, that's what South Carolina did. That's on them for misusing him. You think what? Mike Norvell is 
going to do that? No way. It, it, it's, so, it's more on them for getting too many guys hurt, and it's more on Jaheim Bell for being so athletic that he could be a good running, or he could be a serviceable running back. It's That's more of why that was happening. But Kyle Morlock is 6'6", 250, and, man, he moves like, Damn, Olympic figure skater out there. I want Kyle Morlock on my team. Dane's just saying next he kind of looks like Kyle Morlock. Chris, what were you going to say? Oh, thank you. I, I just enjoyed Dane's love for Kyle Morlock. I didn't realize he was such an appreciator. I like me some I Kyle have to Morlock, be now. but not to that level. Dude, there's um, no way, and there's no way. I Cornerback was, de- like, besides Renardo Green, their cornerback play was putrid in 2022. Hey. Jerrion Jones is listening to you, and he's not going to put up with this. I I don't even know that. Do you want to put Jerrion Jones' metrics for this year? Because it wasn't putrid. That was Zach saying that. Overall, no, Jerrion Jones in the first half of the year was a non-contributor for them. Okay, what about the second half of the year? He became a contributor, so you found an answer. But then he got injured again. So I'm not – Jerrion Jones was was a great player for Florida State. If we looked at game by game, when we did film reviews, when we were listening to A.B. and Kev, what was the one thing that kept coming up on Florida State's defense? It was the fact that they couldn't they, – they, ha- they literally had to play too high safety the entire year because they couldn't trust their cornerbacks to not lose one- one-on-ones. And that includes Renato Green, who we thought had an overall impressive year. Partially, yeah. I think of you bring cornerback in, spots, yeah. it's, it's the nickel. That was the scariest. Well, but the thing that, or just the thing that Central was. Cypress does is – he can allow you to put a player at nickel to move a player to safety because he is a number one corner. He's a, he was, I, I think the best corner in the portal, right? Like he's, it's just, he's so important. I don't know. Yeah. Zach, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to enlighten you on some real quick. I have central central cybers at number two on a list where Jaheem, Jaheem Bell was six. I fully agree with you right now. I'm just saying you have an NFL guard or potentially tackle yeah. on there as well. And but that's there's, but we're talking about impact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me let me ask you. Let me ask Who goes you guys, number one in the draft? Corners or tackles? Zach? We're not talking about. We're, but we're not talking about draft picks. There, yeah, there are guys. Kind of, that is literally what we're doing. That's kind of what we're doing. Are, are, are we not talking about impact, impacting no, Florida State's season yeah. in 2023? Yeah. Zach, answer me this: Who, who's the best player in FSU's roster? Jordan Travis. He's the most important, right? Yeah. Okay, getting someone. Is he the who... highest draft pick? I didn't think so. A... I didn't think so. All right, no, we're just. What? I don't know Sorry. what's All going on. Right. 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 This is what it sounds like when Zach and I like. This is like us normally. So yeah. Zach this was trying to do this with me earlier when we were sharing our list together, and I wasn't. I wasn't. I like that Zach's fighting for Jaheim Bell, and I'm the one that has him the highest on anybody's list. Zach's just hot. Not that good show. <laughs> okay. Uh, honestly, there's not a whole lot of deviation outside of Dane's uh, Kyle Morlock love and a little bit of the Jaheim Bell thing. But even then, like, I, I like I know we're giving him a hard time, but honestly, the tier system, like, Jaheim Bell's was one away from being in like the next tier to where Dane was. So like, this is not as far fetched as I think. Don't it is. talk that really, slander. This list shows that FSU's got a multitude of contributing players, players who will make an impact. Uh, if not start, and most of them will start for a team that is coming off a 10-win season, a team that was a top 10 caliber team that will start off the year as a top 10 program, maybe even higher than that. So, yeah, I mean, there, there is a lot to be excited about for FSU's 2023 season, and retaining players was huge, uh, but the additions and adding these guys as supplementary pieces to round out the roster, fantastic. Uh, fantastic job by Mike Norvell and the entire coaching staff, the support staff, uh, really, like the, the scouting department deserves a lot of credit too because they were able to hit the ground running. Uh, FSU made the choice to expand its personnel department. I, I think that helped out a ton with being productive and being proactive with these recruits. Yeah. Regularly ahead. Yes, consistently. Uh, for the people listening at home, uh, just going down a list here real quick. Chris, in order, was uh, Keandre Jones at nine, Kyle Morlock, eight, Gilbert Edmonds, seven, Daryl Jackson, six, Casey Roddick, five, Braden Fisk, four. Jeremiah Byers, three. Jaheim Bell, two. Ventral Cypress, one. Zach had Gilbert Edmond at nine. Keandre Jones at eight. Kyle Morlock at seven. Daryl Jackson at six. Casey Roddick at five. Oh, good. Add, add comments to the screen. That's not going to mess me up. Braden Fisk at four. Jaheim Bell at three. Jeremiah Byers at two. Ventral Cypress at one. Dane had Gilbert Edmond at nine. Keandre Jones at eight. Daryl Jackson at six. Jaheim Bell at 
No, wait. Hey, you're Brooke, not giving me the credit as Move him back. Move him back. Keandre Jones at eight. Daryl Jackson at seven. Jaheim Bell at six. Kyle Morlock at five. Casey Roddick at four. Braden Fisk at three. Ventral Cypress at two. Jeremiah Byers at one. And then I had Kyle Morlock nine. Edmund eight. Jones seven. Jackson six. Roddick five. Fisk four. Bell three. Cypress two and future NFL draft pick at offensive tackle or guard, but NFL draft pick on the list, Jeremiah Byers at one. Fellas, as we wrap this up, what position group? And in the chat, let us know who had the best uh, the best list here. What position could we see? <laughs> That's the show feet. Oh, sorry, Dane. Did you uh, really want to see Dane's feet? Yeah, well, it's been talked about a lot That's... before on this podcast. Uh, what position group could we see FSU still going after, possibly needing the transfer portal? when the second wave picks up after spring fall. safety safety yeah that's the okay. position yeah I, i'm i'm in agreement with you guys i think safety is the one that you bring back akeem debt and shaheem brown so you feel okay with those two there uh but we've seen that you need to have three safeties and modern football uh for versatility standpoint for depth you need to have three capable ones so i, I think that's an important uh factor yeah anything else we're good Linebacker is another one to, to note. Um, a possible young guy at that position. I don't, you know, I don't think that's going to be a huge priority, but it's something that FSU um, was at least looking into at the at the end of the portal window that, uh, during you know the month of December and January. So, um, you know, another position besides safety to maybe monitor um, for when things open back up again uh, in the month of May. All right, so that'll be it for this episode of On the Bench. I want to thank everyone for following along live on our YouTube channel. Make sure to check that out. Like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. We appreciate it. We're trying to build up this channel a little bit, uh, so we appreciate you guys following along. This was fun. Uh, for the podcast listeners, this episode will be on the OTB feed on Thursday morning. Uh, so if you're on the message board asking if it'll be a podcast and you're watching this now, uh, let that person know that, yes, it will be a podcast for him in the morning. Uh, okay, for Dane Draper, I, I appreciate you, Dane, being uh, willing to go outside the box. Hopefully you're still win, willing to do so in the future. We haven't bullied you into not being different, but much legitimately appreciated. Zach Blossing, Chris Nee, thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm Brendan Snub. has been on the bench. We'll talk to you later.